1: I went into work that morning and got out of my vehicle, had my laptop bag on my shoulder and my coffee and my keys and my phone and my purse and you know making my way into work and I slipped and fell on some wet ice. Actually, at the time, it just hurt my knees and made my, my pants were wet and I spilled my coffee. <laughs> so that was about the worst of it I thought. And maybe about 36 hours later, my neck started hurting really bad. So I went to urgent care and they diagnosed a cervical sprain and said so I had whiplash from the fall. Got up to walk downstairs to my kitchen and I couldn't walk straight and I just thought wow, that's medicine is really strong. And I remember getting to the kitchen and the clock said 3.33 a.m. and I don't really remember how I got back to bed, but I woke up a few hours later for work and decided I was gonna just power through and be fine. And I started getting ready for work and I still couldn't walk quite right and I couldn't gather my thoughts quite correctly, but I was still functioning and everything was fine until I tried to put my makeup on and I couldn't get the brushes to my face properly. Like I couldn't touch my face where I wanted to. My dad came by to, to take my kids to school and he he took one look at me and said come into the light something you don't look right finally agreed i would go to the emergency room to see what was going on and because you know i passed all the stroke test stuff my i could lift my arms i could smile i could talk that kind of thing and so that we didn't think that's what was happening and i remember walking up to the er and they rushed out with a wheelchair i thought that was odd how did they know i you know i, I didn't realize maybe i looked quite as off as I was and it took quite a while to get a CAT scan and an MRI done and I remember sitting in the CAT scan thinking the tube was spinning. I pretty quickly developed a chronic pain syndrome and a condition called Wallenberg syndrome so in the middle of all of that I start you know I start with this this nerve pain that is not really you know it's almost like false pain I guess there's no damage to the nerves at all just the brain is perceiving the data incorrectly so trying to manage the pain on top of that of the appointments and whatnot became incredibly difficult. I found myself very frustrated that there was no one in the medical field helping me with managing all that.
2: Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. After a stroke, about 30% of survivors experience pain. It can be located in your muscles or joints, it can also develop as headaches. Some survivors also experience painful, tingling sensations, known as central post-stroke pain. In this episode, we'll hear from Ashley Morgan from Portland, Oregon, who suffered a stroke at the age of 37.
1: I was a really busy mom. I have two sons that were 12 and 15 at the time, and they both had different activities they were into, and they went to different schools, and I was also working full-time managing a finance office for a produce company. So I worked, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week and hauled kids around and was married and had a dog and all that kind of stuff. And life was busy, busy, go, go, go. We had a snowstorm, we don't get a ton of snow here. And our city is terrible about plowing. The day it kind of let up and, and the ice was melting. I went into work that morning and got out of my vehicle had my laptop bag on my shoulder and my coffee and my keys and my phone and my purse and, you know, making my way into work. And I slipped and fell on some wet ice. Actually, at the time, it just hurt my knees and made my pants were wet and I spilled my coffee. <laughs> so that was about the worst of it, I thought. And maybe about 36 hours later, my neck started hurting really bad. So I went to urgent care and they diagnosed a cervical sprain. And said so I had whiplash from the fall and I went to urgent care another three times. And each time they tried a different pain medication and they took an x-ray and that was about the extent of their care. So I was trying to find relief because the pain was pretty excruciating. Uh, So I went and saw a chiropractor. She didn't adjust my neck, but she did use an activator. And about 18 hours after that, I woke up in the middle of the night thinking the muscle relaxer I took before bed was probably too strong. And I decided I should have some milk or something to kind of dilute my system. And I got up to walk downstairs to my kitchen and I couldn't walk straight. And I just thought, wow, that's medicine is really strong. And I remember getting to the kitchen and the clock said 3.33 AM and I don't really remember how I got back to bed, but I woke up a few hours later for work and decided I was gonna just power through and be fine. And I started getting ready for work and I still couldn't walk quite right. And I couldn't gather my thoughts quite correctly, but I was still functioning and everything was fine till I tried to put my makeup on and I couldn't get the brushes to my face properly. Like I couldn't touch my face where I wanted to. It was impossible. My face looked normal, you know. I didn't have any drooping or anything. And my dad came by to, to take my kids to school, and he he took one look at me and said, "Come into the light. Something's. You don't look right." And finally, agreed I would go to the emergency room to see what was going on, and because you know I passed all the stroke test stuff. My I could lift my arms, I could smile, I could talk, that kind of thing, and. So that we didn't think that's what was happening. And I remember walking up to the ER and they rushed out with a wheelchair. And I thought that was odd. How do they know? I, You know, I, I didn't realize maybe I looked quite as off as I was. And it took quite a while to get a CAT scan and an MRI done. And I remember sitting in the CAT scan thinking the tube was spinning. And I kept waiting for it to come all the way around. And it, it didn't. And it, I found that confusing. And the MRI was just loud and, you know, it took a long time, it felt like. And I was still kind of in denial that anything too serious was occurring. And I went back to the emergency room, and the doctor came in and told me that i had had a brainstem stroke. And it took, I think, it three times before it actually hit me. That that's what he was telling me. He had to draw a little picture on the whiteboard, and my vertebral artery had dissected. And at some point, a blood clot had gotten loose and landed on my brainstem. And pretty quickly, once it hit, my whole denial faded, and I got violently ill, and vertigo just took over. I don't think I could really see for about five days The vertigo was incredibly violent and strong. And I was admitted immediately and did five days in like the neurological wing of that
2: hospital. And then I want to say 15 days in inpatient rehab. While she was in rehab, Ashley took part in an intense recovery program.
1: You know, there's speech therapy, which they just bypassed because I never really stopped talking. And then occupational therapy, you know, learning how to, I think we did a good like hour and a half of it each day, just figure out where to keep your medicines and be organized and how to schedule your doctor appointments and, you know, just things like that. And then physical therapy was mostly centered around safety for when I went home, like learning how to get up from a fall or shower or, you know, stand from sitting. And then the beginnings of relearning how to walk by the end of it I was doing things like cutting soft fruit trying to make fruit salad and a lot of like motor skill practice like like bicycle stationary bicycle riding the hardest part for me is one of my my right eye kind of went wonky you know kind of wasn't focused anymore and I had to do a lot of eye exercises and I found those to be the most excruciating and exhausting task I could, would rather do physical therapy for 10 hours than 10 minutes of eye exercises but it worked. They put tape on my, on my glasses that I wear to help focus my eye center again. And I'd say about three months later, it was back to normal. I felt kind of like a little kid, I guess, at first. I really liked to color and I wanted to make brownies and silly stuff like that and play Monopoly. So at first it wasn't even really maybe hitting me how much my life was changing because I was pretty content with it. There were just so many doctor appointments. Had to go in to have my labs done for the blood thinners I was on. And Physical therapy five days a week, occupational therapy a couple days a week. I pretty quickly developed a chronic pain syndrome and a condition called Wallenberg syndrome. So in the middle of all of that, I start you know, I start with this this nerve pain that is not really you know, it's almost like false pain, I guess. There's no damage to the nerves at all, just the brain is perceiving the data incorrectly. So trying to manage the pain on top of that, of the appointments and whatnot became incredibly difficult. I found myself very frustrated that there was no one in the medical field helping me with managing all that. Making doctor appointments alone was required a four hour nap afterwards. <laughs> so I couldn't, you know, I couldn't drive it. So I was dependent on someone to, to take me to, back to the hospital for all these appointments. And I wanna say there was a month period where I had about a hundred different appointments to go to. And it was so overwhelming and it seemed very unnecessarily just cumbersome and disorganized.
2: A major factor in Ashley's ongoing recovery is fatigue.
1: It's like all-encompassing. Any woman who's maybe gone through pregnancy could tell you in the first trimester, you're just, the level of tired that you are is so beyond explanation. And you can't break through it. It's almost like there's a, you're wearing a leaded apron all the time. Like when you get an x-ray, you know, just when trying to do your movements. And then it's like a heavy fog, hold your thoughts down and trying to just work through all that alone is exhausting. So the fatigue, I mean, I still suffer from it incredibly. I I don't work because of it. I was actually awarded disability through uh, the US federal government because I can't consistently rise above that fatigue. So I'm not very employable if I don't know when I'll have a day like that, you know, and then it's been seven and a half years. So I was sure hoping by now it would would have eased up, but it also makes it so I can't sleep. And that sounds counterintuitive, but that's what it is. (laughs) I plan everything around the possibility of either a fatigue spike or a pain spike and trying to reduce all the, the things that would cause that. The pain and the fatigue both cause pretty intense depression and anxiety. And so those four things kind of impact each other. You know, the pain causes the anxiety, the anxiety causes the depression, the depression causes the fatigue. And it just feels like this cycle that is really hard to get in front of. I would say there's maybe been 10 days I've ever really gotten in front of it since the stroke itself. I was on a lot of medication. Initially, I felt like a test subject. They had me on opiate pain medication. They had me on, i probably tried 10 different antidepressants and five different anti-anxiety medications and then the blood thinners. And eventually though, uh, this, all of this sort of led to my husband and I splitting up and getting divorced. And in the, that process, I lost my health insurance coverage and I could no longer afford these medications. It was about $900 a month out of pocket. And, you know, we don't have universal health care over here. And so I had to just kind of give everything up. And I actually am thriving much, much better off of all of that. The thing that helps me the very most is probably music. I can, I can sort of like meditate and get my mind off things through music. And then it, it'll lead to either, you know, some, kind, some movement. You might not normally, you know, dance or move around a certain way, but when you kind of get into listening to something, you might forget something hurts so bad or whatever.
2: Coming up, Ashley talks about the impact of chronic pain.
1: There's a high percentage of people with that condition uh, attempt suicide and and a lot actually succeed because it's pretty miserable. And when you look fine and no one can see that you're hurting, it's really difficult to get empathy from folks, you know? And so to have people understand when you say, like, my blood feels like there's frozen lava flowing through it today. When people get that, it's that's leaves you
2: feeling less isolated. And the role of her close friends.
1: I definitely lost a bunch of friends friends that I think it was just intimidating and they don't know what to say and it makes them uncomfortable. And, but there were a handful of people that just lifted me up and yeah, they were absolutely my support. When I realized things at home weren't really working out, I had a couple girlfriends that stepped in and just made sure I got everything I needed to get into a better position.
2: Let's hear how Ashley's stroke affected her career.
1: I tried to go back and uh, I requested like a data entry position instead of management because that seemed really overwhelming. And they didn't grant me that. They put me back in management and I didn't last long because there was way too big thinking for me. I could perform tasks, no problem, but supervising someone's career path in this organization wasn't really... (laughs) meant for me at the time. (laughs) So I didn't last too long there. And there's an idea when I stopped working that I could be home and handle all the home functions and, you know, sort of be this domestic role. And that didn't work out either because you don't know if you're going to be in bed all day because you're hurt so bad or from the fatigue or depression or whatever it might be. So now that I'm actually off all those medications, I do some part-time work. It started out as a nonprofit sort of volunteer work for a company that distributes math curriculum. And we we just sort of stuff school supplies into baggies, <laughs> and it's kind of monotonous, and I kind of thrive in
2: that. Ashley's also found it useful to connect with other survivors online.
1: The specific condition I have, Wallenberg syndrome, there isn't, I've only met one person in locally that has any clue about it. And so I'm able to connect with people who get a few things that no one else can understand. Uh, I don't feel temperature on one side of my body, and there's just a variety of ailments, I guess. Those kinds of things are very isolating and can lead to feeling really lonely. So having even an online sort of community of people that get it is, is really comforting. I was an online person before anyway, like for parenting advice and such things. So I already functioned well within that type of communication. And I've found that to be incredibly beneficial. So I've found that I'm, I'm able to find community and not have to maybe face some of those fears and, and the social anxiety thing that can happen. There's an enormous amount of support available, so, and I can give support, and and that feels equally if as good, if not better. You know, I like to tell my story. Someone asked me before I did this if I was comfortable talking to you, and I said, of course. You know, there's no shame in what happened, and maybe my story could help just one person get a CAT scan if their neck hurt instead of an X-ray. There's two Facebook groups that help me a lot. One is Wallenberg Syndrome Group. And then one is for post stroke central pain syndrome, and it's pain caused by disruption in the central nervous system. And there's a high percentage of people with that condition uh, attempt suicide, and another, and a lot actually succeed because it's pretty miserable. And when you look fine and no one can see that you're hurting, it's really difficult to get empathy from folks, you know? And so to have people understand when you say, like, my blood feels like there's. Frozen lava flowing through it today. When people get that, it's that's
2: leaves you feeling less isolated. And Ashley also explained how her stroke impacted her home life.
1: My oldest, he has his own challenges. He has epilepsy and he sort of retreated. Always a sweetheart, always a good kid. Definitely didn't try and utilize the situation to his social gain or anything like that, but just sort of retreated into his own he was in his bedroom a lot. Now his little brother, he pretty much became my caretaker because my partner at the time maybe wasn't designed for caretaking. And he was 12 and then, you know, he's 19 now. But yeah, he pretty much was the one who checked on me all the time and made sure I was eating and took my medicine and he kind of thrived on that. Looking back, he's a little bit angry that he got stuck with that because no one else was home, but he and I have a pretty tight connection I know that he feels good about that and so you know he's proud of himself for falling into that role naturally. It's interesting how people respond to things like this. Like like my dad was amazing and he took me to every appointment he could even though he had horrible back pain and he was there. As, just he never left the hospital I don't think the whole time I was there until I got to rehab at least. And he had, didn't have any experience with neurological issues. And then my mom, her, her husband had suffered a brain injury years ago. She won't even really admit I have chronic pain today. There's something about seeing her daughter hurting that just gets to her. Whereas my dad, every, every day he would text me, and what's your pain level at today? And and then I definitely lost a bunch of friends, friends that I think it was just intimidating and they don't know what to say and it makes them uncomfortable. And But there were a handful of people that just lifted me up. And yeah, they were absolutely my support. When I realized things at home weren't really working out, I had a couple of girlfriends that stepped in and just made sure I got everything I needed to get into a better position i would say to someone who has recently had a stroke someone said to me early on two steps forward no steps back and it's kind of a silly phrase but it's true even if you feel like you're sliding back you're not you're just getting better at your your new skills and you have to make mistakes or you know sort of fall once in a while in order to improve so every step you take is a step forward and there's a mantra i live by um every day is just one day it ends (laughs) and you can start over the next day. So that is what I would say to a stroke survivor.
2: Ashley's stroke affected her work, her home life, her relationships. But despite the difficulties in the last seven years since her stroke, she continues to have a positive outlook on recovery. Thanks to the support of her two sons and close friends. Coming up in the next episode of stroke stories. I came downstairs in my flat to set my spinning bike up as I might do on a good day to do an hour of spinning. The next thing I know, I came to and I had head planted into my living room cabinets and was lying on the floor with a a pain in my neck from the impact. I thought, oh, that's odd, I've blacked out, that's a bit strange, and I tried to stand up and carry on with my day, but as I tried to stand up, it was really difficult, I was unable to move my left-hand side. Thank you again for subscribing to Stroke Stories. Please do continue to rate and comment to help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, we'd love to hear from you. Our DMs are always open on Twitter or Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.